One, two, three. That was a really low clap. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a good place to sink everything. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Anyway. Vicud, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Time Splitter's Future Perfect. So yeah, I got into games, I think, fairly young, as most people do. Um, I didn't have a console myself for a few years, but my cousins used to have a SNES, and I would go around to their house, and we'd play anything they had. They had a Mega Drive as well, so we'd spend kind of weekends with bowls of cereal, passing the controller between each other, either playing like Golden Axe, or playing, you know... Super Mario Brothers and then like having to leave it on for fear that we would lose our saves um, and that kind of got me into it. I think then after that I got a PlayStation 1. Um, I got a PlayStation 1 and I got a Game Boy somewhere around the same time and got obsessed with Pokemon as most kids my age were. The game, I had Pokemon Red and the cards um, and then I started playing PlayStation games a bit more after that. And most of the time my parents were getting me kind of kid-friendly games. Like, um, I don't know, Mickey Mouse's Epic Adventure and Hercules and all of these. And they were all like bootleg knockoffs from a market um, oh. near, near where I lived. So I played kind of those games. And then as I got a bit older into my early teens, my mum was still quite strict on... If a game has an age rating, that is the age rating. Mm. And that was the same with movies and everything. So I'd sneak to my friends and to my cousins and play, like, Mortal Kombat or play, you know... Well, the version we got was Project Zero, but, like, Fatal Frame with my friend. And we'd sneak away and do that, or I'd sneak and play, like, Blood Rain in secret. Um, so I think... And then once, like, the Xbox, um, you know, that era came in, then it was all about Halo um and it was me and my cousins again because i'm an only child so it was me and my cousins again playing halo and we spent loads of time playing halo and that kind of brings us nicely to to my favorite game actually and then i spent a load of time on time splitters future perfect um on xbox and i spent countless hours um playing playing that game it was all those games where I played either with my best friends or my cousins and we all gathered around the console taking turns and those are kind of like the key foundations I think in my my love of games was those couch co-op like moments of my childhood. Mm. Do you remember what uh, other games that you had on that Xbox as well besides Halo and Timesplitters? I discovered Fable, Top Spin, um, 
I think it had The Sims busting out. My dad had a version that had like the Playboy Mansion on it. Um, and it had like a Conan the Barbarian game. It had loads of stuff. It had Blood Rain on it. That's how I found Blood Rain. Um, I couldn't. There was countless. The, the big one that I remember is Fable because I just said that looks cool. I tried it and I was like, this is the best game because it was the first like RPG I played. And I was like, this is the best. How how can games do this? Like, this is incredible. Does anyone else know about this? And I thought it was like a little secret that I had found and nobody else knew about. And then I grew up and realized everyone knew about Fable and it wasn't it wasn't just me. But I think at that point it felt like this little hidden gem that I had discovered. Um and that was really nice. Another thing that sort of caught me out was uh da, 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 da was the fact that you were playing uh, a lot of these games with your cousins and it feels like such a pastime in NI anyway like playing games with your cousins yeah it is and it is especially now because so I live in London um my young I say little cousin he's a year younger than me my younger cousin lives in Scotland and then my older cousin lives um back in our hometown in Northern Ireland and that is how we connect well we haven't done it in a while but that's that's how we would connect as we'd all get together and play games um and just have a natter while we play while we play stuff online so it really feel like it's it's something that's always connected us and i think that's why it's so important to me where you know some of them are more into other games than i am and some of them are really really into like certain games whereas i'm just in it for fun but I think, yeah, that's it's always been this like thread through our relationship that's even you know allowed it to last even to till now. So I started. I've been in the industry oh four years now. Jesus four Christ, years. It's not four years. July. It's four years. <laughs> so I went to college in Belfast and did broadcast journalism because I didn't get into Queens when I went to. I went, planned to do creative writing at 18. I didn't get in because I was having some bad mental health issues, worked in KFC for a few years and did broadcast journalism at Belfast Met, which then got me into a a street journalism course here in London, um, a university called City. Um, Did street journalism plan to be well, plant went in with the idea of I'll be a newspaper type person. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to write. The more time went on, I realised that I didn't, compared to the friends that did want to do newspapers, I, I it wasn't really what I wanted to do. We we were just kind of different type of people. Um, so I started in my final year trying to work out what I wanted to do, and I was writing about games on the side just to build up a portfolio. Hmm. Um, and then I think when I finished that, I was I was a bit like, right, I finished my exam and exams and it was like May. I graduate in July. I'll try this video games thing. I'll give myself until I graduate. And if it doesn't work, then go get a real job, as it were. Um, fortunately, in that time, I got the Eurogamer, the first Eurogamer internship. Um, and spent three months as an intern there. Then they kept me on for three months as a reporter after that went freelance for a bit um went to pc games n for a few months 
went freelance again um and i was freelancing i think a little bit over e3 for tech radar mm. um so when the person that was there before me emma boyle left she recommended me for for the job that was going to be a dedicated gaming writer so i took um went for that got that which was really good and i've been there at tech radar three years now and became gaming editor last year um so it's been quite a lot in a small <laughs> small amount of time that also feels like eternity <laughs> mm. It does feel like an eternity. I thought it was something like five years ago nearly. Jesus Christ, that's what no. fucking that's what fucking happens when time fucking flies, especially <laughs> during COVID. Fucking hell. Yeah, I think that's right. What year is it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's that's four, it's twenty four it's twenty thirty now. Right? <laughs> we we've progressed nine years, nine, ten years since COVID. So yeah. yeah. It's, the cockroaches it's, have taken over. The itself. cockroaches have taken uh, <laughs> taken over Bojo yeah. is still on par somehow. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yep. Let's talk of your favourite game, Time Splitters Future Perfect. Before we get, before we slightly touch on um, uh, Future Perfect, um, let's talk before um, Future Perfect. Now you mentioned Time Splitters two. You did not mention Time Splitters one. Why? Because I've never played it. <laughs> That's a, I never played it, and it's one of those where you know when you get into like a series or something, and you go in late, and then you go back maybe one, and then you know there's a point that if you go back too early. You're so used to how poli- how polished, I say, um, it is in the later iterations that further you go back, you kind of are a bit like, oh, I don't know about this. It's not as refined as what I know, um, which, you know, it was a bit different now as an adult, again, because I appreciate games in a different way. But as a teenager, I was like, no, that's going to be shit. That's like... It hasn't got as many characters or as many maps, and it's not got X and Y. Um, so I, I never played it. So I played two, and I played Future Perfect. Um, but I always find Future Perfect's the one that's always stayed in my head. It's the one I sunk most time into. I think it's the one that I find to just be a bit zanier and a bit weirder, and that's why it's stuck with me. Time Splitters 2 as well is look back on um, a lot more fondly anyway, especially because of, I think, the first, not only the first level of the single player, because there's a lot of elements that remind people of GoldenEye to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Because considering, of course, Free Radical was made up of a lot of the veterans on the GoldenEye team at Rare. Um, But... I think that's also my experience with Time Splitters 2, that first level. And only that first level, because that's all I've played from that OPM demo back in the day. 
<laughs> yeah, it was like, I think I played, weirdly, I played it last EGX before all this. As we're speaking, EGX is literally about to kick off again. But I played it in like the retro section of EGX last time it was on. And it was actually quite difficult. Like it was much more difficult. That, that first level was considerably more difficult than I remember it being. And mm. that might just be because it's a bit like jaunty EMing and things like that. But I find it, I was a bit annoyed at myself because I was like, I used to be like really good at this and now I am, I'm struggling quite considerably. And I'm just going to put that down to it's the technology that has failed me, not me failing this game. <laughs> It's it's not age, it's not being old, it's just technology. <laughs> um, and, the, and, and the reason I also mentioned Time Splitters 2 is, because, like, again, the multiplayer aspect. Like, it feels like a, a refinement on what made Time Splitters 1's multiplayer work so well. Because like, I, I pl- I've played Time Splitters 1, not a whole lot of Time Splitters 1, but I played a little bit of Time Splitters 1 back in the day when I had, I think alone of the original time splitters and i was like oh cool this this seems cool and all but like i didn't really have any friends to play couch co-op or couch uh pvp on and like so it didn't really mean a whole lot to me so like time splitters 2 was just like yeah like this seems better in tune with me because it has a single player but then I never got to play it anyway like i don't like it was that first level on that EPM <laughs> well that first level is that like it's like you said that's probably the most memorable and to be honest when i look back there's times where i kind of almost blend some of the the two because i played them at the same period sometimes i'll blend the two a bit and it's also because there's similarities in things like the multiplayer maps and things where um i'll kind of be like is is that in this game or that game and it'll kind of be across both of them but i think um the the multiplayer probably not the multiplayer the campaign probably stood out more in future perfect just because it kind of had a very um consistent character that ran the whole way through in you know cortex cortex cortez Um, a different game. We're different, about an entirely different game and an entirely different genre. We're talking about an entirely different series here. Oh god! But yeah, um, so with him running through kind of Cortez as that um, main character in the third game, um, I think that's what's made it stuck in my mind more. Even though two had you know a a series of different kind of protagonists that you didn't necessarily see because you were seeing in the first person, whereas because. Cortez ran through the whole every game, every level in in Future Perfect that kind of I guess it made it stick in my mind a bit more made him stick in my mind a bit more and that like contraption on his arm <laughs> stick in my head a bit more but like when I look back at them they are nearly like equal level for me to a degree but I think it's Future Perfect just edges it out just a little bit because it was a bit more bombastic overall. Mm. I'm glad you actually mentioned the multiple protagonists because I'd actually forgotten about that. Like yeah. in, in Time Splitters 2. I'd actually, and Time Splitters 1 to an extent. I actually forgot about that. Yeah, it's an it's a interesting one as well. But what I really enjoyed as like in my being kind of a young girl gamer was growing up and having these options where you were a badass female sidekick and not you know a load of the designs are are not okay they're not awful but they're in that 
you know, overly sexualized females in games trope that we know so well now. Mm. But I like the idea of like playing these games and being the badass, you know, other player to whatever the male protagonist was. Like, I think there was a character called like Violet or Viola. And I was like, she was like a jester. And I love playing her because I was like, she's badass. And she she was covered up. But I was like, that's that's amazing. I'm not, you know, the damsel in distress. Though there were some damsels in distress in um, in those games. And that's that's a different issue. The, the games do have um, a degree of their issues looking back now. But I like the idea of being able to play just as a female character in an FPS. Mm. Which is... Uh, you know, it seems like quite a small thing, but it was really big deal to me back then. Hmm. Um, you meant so. Let's let's t- uh, go straight into Future Perfect and specifically then. Um, like you mentioned, the campaign was more standout than the multiplayer, like um, because it felt a lot more bombastic than anything else. Oh well, the campaign in that compared to the campaign, I guess, in Time Splitters Two for me um, was. But when it comes to the actual game itself, I think almost to a degree the multiplayer was was nearly more memorable. If I'm comparing it to Time Splitters 2 in a more memorable campaign ah. which pushed it ahead of that game. Um but the the multiplayer equally was was fantastic as well. That's probably where I sank most of my time, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Um like what 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 were you sort of what were your sort of feelings on that campaign then like uh, as as a sort of standalone experience then like besides you know Cortez and all that there. Well, I I loved it one because obviously it's gone harking back to those days of like classic couch co op split screen, so I could play it with someone else and they had their own character and like I miss that I miss couch co op split screen so so much. Um, but it was that experience, the characters that you played, and it was the fact that just every level within that campaign was just so weird. Each had its own theme and then its own weird characters to match that theme. Um, and like if there was the like haunted haunted mansion where you were um, it, obviously the first person was always Cortez, um, but then you had Mary. Mary Beth, I think, or Mary Jo Beth was like this angsty teenager who was, you know, your sidekick if you chose to play a split split screen. Um, and you'd be fighting off in this old haunted mansion, a bunch of kind of zombie-like creatures um, that were kind of time splitters, but they were zombies. And then you had to literally fight like a deer hunter, which was just this horrible like deer head on this muscly, like exposed muscle body. It was horrible and it was freakish, but it was like playing all these different genres of games in one campaign where, you know, you could be like a spy in the what 60s or 70s in one level and then you're playing like an almost horror like game in another level and then you're playing this really futuristic um level and it was just so many different genres um and it was really tongue-in-cheek about that as well i think is is what made it 
work is it absolutely didn't take itself too seriously and Cortez as the main protagonist wasn't taken serious well wasn't taken seriously like I think that just made it fun and it made it feel different um especially when you get all these even back then quite serious fps's and you know war themed games and then you have just this silly um game where you're trying to fend off a, a deer head creature <laughs> jesus christ that that does feel very horror it is and then you go into like under the the mansion into like the mines and all the things are running up and you're in under and i remember just being like proper freaked out by it but it's like it's that in one beat and then it's just ridiculous in another and even the horror is a bit ridiculous um but there's so many clear pop culture references in it um that are just quite quite cleverly done um so so it still feels fun even if it's a little bit like oh that's that's a bit scary (laughs) when you put it like that it also reminds me in a way of to give a more recent example, anyway, Saints Row 4. Because it doesn't take itself too seriously. It has it explores so many genres over several levels. And, like, Lampoons itself and other games like Metal Gear Solid and stuff like that there. And other pop culture references. It, the way you put it, like, it, it, it gives me... It reminds me of, like, Saints Row 4, anyway. Yeah, I think it's... It's more like the actual... It's the themes change in it, I guess. Like, the actual gameplay never changes. It's always just a, oh, yeah. an FPS and you get kind of different weapons. But, yeah, I think that's that's probably why Saints Row goes down so well, is when you have something up against this, like, does take its quite self quite seriously, like FPS, for example, um, and you have something that just allows a bit more fun. Like, that's that's great like that's part of the the thing with saints row right like gta doesn't take itself too seriously but but it does to a degree um, it does, it so does. Then you have yeah especially saints. after gta 4 anyway it does yeah and then like with saints row you just have something that's a bit like not ridiculous but just like you you're encouraged to be silly and um i think i think that's what i like and that's that's always been the thing that i've carried forward it's the same with like if you pit call of duty against battlefield with me and i'm like well give me battlefield because i just want a bit of silliness i just want to not take i want to enjoy games i don't want to to be stressed by them i don't want to be competitive in them i'm just not that type of gamer mm, no 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 fair enough um da, da, da. um so multiplayer um da, da, da. You you say you loved it a ton, and especially because you were playing so much of the multiplayer with um, your cousins. I think you said. Um, like, talk to me about some of the memories you had playing it. So I think there's like two really key parts for the multiplayer was the characters and the maps. Um, and like looking back now, I don't know if I could genuinely play like a game like an fps that much as many hours as we sank in and still have it feel fresh but it was the god knows how many characters the game had so that was like the first bit of it it's it's countless characters there must have been over a hundred all varying in weirdness 
and you could then complete like challenges to unlock more and I never got all of them so you could have like a grown sized duck or a squid um there was a weird snowman creature there was the deer creature that I mentioned earlier you could play as that um all these really like ranging from quite normal characters to absolutely bizarre you then put them into these odd maps like a disco or a Chinese restaurant and it's just absurd you're running around trying to shoot in you know a disco with the ball the disco ball rolling and you're trying to chase down like a grown sized duck um and a squid that makes kind of weird Zoidbergy noises when you get it and it's just so bizarre I think that's why it's always stuck in my head I was just like this is so bizarre and as you know a teen I was like this is great because I just am amused by the 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 whole idea of it um and then us being able to be these these bizarre characters as well um and so many of the characters were based on like pop culture references um and things like that 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 i just remember looking at this wide range of characters and always being like i never know who to play because there's so much choice um but yeah it it was things like that and just having these weird characters in these maps that were like oddly themed they weren't anything like amazingly special they were just really weird environments and the you know the combination of the two together made for just this bizarro game (laughs) this bizarro game that was actually quite a good fps game um and we just sank so much time into it and then you could kind of make your own maps as well um if you wanted to do that i could never get the hang of that so mine never actually worked properly um but i think think those are the key things if i look back now there's a lot of those characters that wouldn't float now and shouldn't float now Mm. um it's like i said it was you know the over sexualization of the female characters there's some you know racial stereotypes in there that absolutely shouldn't be in there um when this you know rebooted version um comes but i think it's it's then going to be you know up to free radical again or the reformation of them to to balance that tongue-in-cheek british humor that they have with still being like culturally sensitive um and that's that's going to show quite a lot because you can still make really bizarre and weird characters that aren't offensive Mm. um and back then i didn't i wasn't you know as aware of Mm. of the kind of issues in those characters yeah um and i'm sure you know a lot of people playing weren't but now they can kind of do better and that's what i'm hoping is i'm I'm still aware of how good those characters are and those maps are i'm just hoping that they do better this time around um when they when they either remaster it reboot or whatever they're they're doing with it Mm -hmm. um you mentioned in part there but it's the the sort of humor times (coughs) the sort of humor time splitters goes for it's very british and it's very 
Um, but it's also separate from the sort of British humor that you would find in a Fable game because, like, those two games are very... They're still British humor, but mm-hmm. they're so, the, the way they go for it is... How should I put it? Um, Fable is sort of... Um, type sort of British humor I'd type say, stuff. I'd say it was more Blackadder. I'd say if yeah. you're comparing it, Fable is a bit more Blackadder and um, I guess um, Time Splitters would be a bit more you know, controlled and less vulgar bottom or something like that. It's mm. a bit more I wouldn't say less refined but you know, it's it's more about slapstick, I guess. It's a bit about slapstick. It's a bit mm-hmm. about, like, visual comedy rather than, like, clever lines. Where Fable's all about those those little lines that you catch so where someone's just being a bit of a dick and it's all very tongue-in-cheek. Like, um, it's it's not on the nose. Whereas Time Splitters, I think, is a bit more like... It's that visual humour. It's the idea of watching a duck shoot someone like it's it's very in your face and that's you know there's nothing absolutely nothing wrong with that it's just a bit more slapstick yeah um and yeah i think i think that's where they they differ a little bit mm. um and i guess that's a, you know that's why fables fables humor maybe plays to a, i was going to say a wider audience but you know, plays to more British people because that's the humour they grew grew up with. Mm. Um, whereas Time Splitters, I guess, is a bit more... Direct about it? I think it's a bit more direct. It's also sometimes, you know, it can be a bit darker, maybe. Mm. Um, and it's whether that's that's your kind of humour and it's always been my, my kind of humour is that slightly um, darker darker sense and just the weirdness and the absurdity rather as much as I, I you know enjoy the quick wit and things that fable has and i do thoroughly enjoy those games and i love the kind of um backhanded insults between characters i also just it is just this bombastic nature i guess of, of of future perfect and it's right in your face and you're just like this is ridiculous and I'm very much enjoying just the sheer weirdness of it all. Um, I think, yeah, they're very, they're very different. It's kind of, it's comparing apples and oranges a little bit because I guess saying time splitters is a bit edgier is is maybe mm. the way to go about it. Mm. Um, but as I've said, like I love Fable and I yeah. I love time splitters and. I also grew up with that kind of British, all those types of you know British comedy shows. So, I I can appreciate appreciate the differences and the similarities in those. Mm. I think because of Time Splitters humor, like you could actually sort of live out some of these jokes. Like, which would you want to pr- uh, take on, the human-sized duck or the duck-sized humans, basically type things. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's just so weird like that's that's the thing is it's just a bit bizarre maybe a better comparison is like the mighty bush compared to black adder mm. and one's just a bit more modern um and as i said like there's nothing wrong with a classic but i think you know the thing is with future perfect i don't think i've played a game like that with that kind of style and humor ever since that came out 
and until you know free radical makes the new one or whatever they're doing with that i don't think i will again it's not been something that anyone's been able to to do as well or you know replicate in any way and i don't know if anyone would really want to um which is why obviously there's been this you know cry from fans who wanted a new game because i don't know if anyone could quite do it the way free radical could and especially i don't think like an american developer could could do it and pull it off i i I would legitimately dread seeing an american developer try to pull off the british humor of of games like fable or time splitters because i just think it'd be stupidly stupidly cliched and just sort of stereotypical yeah it's it reminds me a lot of what am i thinking of it reminds me a lot of arrested development and the sort of British, uh, she, uh, the, oh yeah, the, the little British England, it's a, the the pub, yeah, like the 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 little pub that they have serving. It's like I feel like it's it'd be the equivalent of walking in, and you've done this, I'd imagine, walking into an Irish bar anywhere but Ireland, <laughs> like anywhere in the world, and they'd be like, "We're serving stew," I'm like, "Right, okay." And we're serving Guinness, and here's a potato, I guess. I like that's 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 not it. <laughs> that's, that's that's not it. Why um, do I why do I feel like my only experience of I like when you say that I, I just the thing that comes to mind and and Vic will get this immediately. My only experiences of Irish bars outside of Ireland is fucking Germany. <laughs> that's Cologne, a good one though. Cologne, Gamescom, the Corsican. The Kirkonian's a good Irish bar, to be fair. It's better than than some. I've been to one and I went to one in Disneyland once, and that was a nightmare. I've been to um, to bad <laughs> Irish bars, but it's that kind of thing. It's like you can't you can't capture that secret ingredient. The people that know how to put across that humor and do it authentically. Are, are British developers and that's that's why it works like and I don't like I'd be interested to know whether you know Time Splitters does float as well in like the US um, and whether I obviously Fable does but it's whether time that's Time Splitters kind of weirdness floats with with um, US players as, as much as it does with you know people this side of the pond and i'm sure it does but i don't know if it hits in the same way it's 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 a weird one Mm. no it's 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 a it's a bit of a sort of devil's advocate boy no well no no not necessarily devil's advocate it's sort of uh what's what's the term i'm looking for so for lack of a better one it's double it's a double-edged sword really but that isn't really what i'm looking for but it's the only thing that sort of comes to mind anyway yeah, well, that's the thing is like it's maybe why we've been waiting so long to get along with a lot of you know changing hands with free radical and crytech and all of that, um, and I, it does make me a bit concerned as to like that worked in that time period with that sense of humor in the early noughties. Could that work again now? Being more aware of itself and of its humor and of its depictions and that's why i'm i think i'm a little bit hesitant about a new game because i don't know if you can recapture that magic it's like when they do reboots of movies or like 
I'm currently re-watching the scary movies and I'm like, oh, that, like, there's some of these bits that are, like, hold up, but a lot of this is not okay now. You couldn't make this now. And I'm a bit worried in case that that's what will happen and I just hope that they, they lean into the absurdity while being aware that they don't have to punch down to do it. And I don't think they intended to the first time around. I just think it'd be good if this time they're aware of making sure they're not. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, I don't want to see um, Chinese chefs to go in the Chinese restaurant. And, you know, I, I don't, I want to see something a bit different, more weird animals, more bizarro creations. And I think that's going to be, be, be where the future of that lies. And, mm. You know, it's not playing it safe. It's just, you know, catching up with the times, I guess. Hmm. Um, I should probably mention as well, just somewhat separate from that, like uh, I mentioned the Coconian in, in Cologne. There is also an Irish bar that was nearby the hotel I was staying in in Berlin a few years ago. And I was just like, I feel at home. And the Irish national anthem just started playing in my head. And it's just like home comforts, but also sort of stereotypically Irish as well. Yeah, it's I'm a I'm a knight. The Corconian's not too bad. The, I, I knew the Corconian was fine because I walked in and the bar stools were ripped, and I was like, "That's right, that's correct." Have you got Guinness memorabilia on the wall, sports stuff, and ripped bar seats? And it's difficult to pay with card, only cash. Well, that sounds like an Irish bar. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I think the basic point is, if you're going to go to an Irish bar outside Ireland, you're probably better off going to an Irish bar in Germany, at least. Yeah, and don't don't go in Disneyland for the love of God, <laughs> and don't go to an O'Neill's in London. Just <laughs> yeah, just ask. Is <laughs> probably probably the best thing, or just avoid them and go to them in Ireland. Yeah, that's probably the best experience to go for. But anyway, that that's for when you go to Germany. That's for when anyone goes to Germany. Anyway, like um, anyway uh, da, 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 da. um, so you mentioned it in part there, like the future of the series, like how it needs to sort of toe the line in terms of what is uh, more appropriate these days in terms of how it wants to sort of tell these de- depictions of characters and humor and, and story and all that there um what else would you like to see from the future of the, of the series whenever whatever form whatever shape that may be whether that's you know a hd remaster of all the games or a new game or whatever it is free radical or currently cooking up anyway um i don't know i don't know a remaster would be good to see the games remastered but I do worry that just remastering what's there won't hold up, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I think especially when it comes to like a multiplayer shooter like that, it becomes very obvious if it doesn't hold up. It's a bit different if you're playing something that's single player, like Spire or whatever, and you improve that experience and that single player experience, and that's fine. I think when it comes to something like this that's a shooter and then what would you do remaster it and then maybe introduce online elements you'd have to drastically overhaul that um that shooting to make it 
you know, contend with... Sh- like, it doesn't have to contend with the shooters, but to to bring it up to the level that a modern audience could play it and not feel like they're, you know, they're struggling with it. Mm. Um, so I feel like probably the best thing they could do at this point is just do a new game. Um, start from scratch. Keep the same important elements we talked about that humor those characters those maps and like that solid campaign but just bring it up to a modern era in terms of like the gameplay the shooting like give them a clean slate to bring that franchise to a new audience i just worry that it's the same as so many games where you remaster something and you're looking at it through rose-tinted glasses and there's only some people that it would appeal to that want to play the remastered version of X. And as much as my heart is like, oh, I'd love to play remastered Time Splitters, mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't really. I'd probably enjoy the novelty and then be like, mm. what I would like is if I got a new game and I got some of those brilliant characters, brought them up to the modern age, improved the shooting and brought me a bunch of new characters and a new campaign with those same key ingredients from the franchise that's what I'd love to see and I think that's that would be the best approach for them Mm. whether they're going to do it um, we'll see Um, I think it's it's the most sensible approach at this point because then you're not just making a game for the people that are nostalgic for the original series you're making a game to bring in the new audience Mm. um but yeah, I, I'd love to see that. And I'd love to see, you know, giant duck person in 4K at, at 60 FPS running about really, really fast flapping his flappers. Um, and yeah, I think it would again, just at the minute, if you think about it, apart really from Battlefield, do you have, and yeah, apart from Battlefield and stuff, do you really have online shooters that are kind of just ridiculous? Like... Fortnite was that once, but it's not that anymore. <laughs> like, could you could you make an argument to an extent for Overwatch? I guess, yeah, and I think I really enjoy Overwatch, and maybe there's a degree of that about it. It's these cartoony characters. It's you know, it's more serious, and the characters are more serious, and they have more developed backstories. Um, but I, that's another one. That's what me and my cousins play, weirdly, as adults, is Overwatch. Um, and I think there's a bit more strategy to that. I think, you know, you could bring in some new modes and you probably would to a new Time Splitters to keep it fresh. Um, but, you know, whatever happened to the Team Deathmatch? <laughs> like, what, what, where are Team Deathmatches? <laughs> Oh my god, I just had another thought of a game that sort of revels on the ridiculousness, and I cannot believe it's taken me this long to figure it out. Team Fortress 2, or old, old school Team Fortress 2, like you're talking just after the launch of the Orange Box Team Fortress 2, yeah. not necessarily Team Fortress 2 that sort of evolved over the years, like especially on playing TDM on, no not TDM, it was um, Capture the Flag on 2 Fort. Basically, yeah. or catches a briefcase in two fort. Like that sort of reminds me of sort of that ridiculousness. Yeah, that that's the thing about. is, it's, it's those really classic modes as well, right? Like those, you know, team deathmatch, capture the flag, capture briefcase. All those kind of ones are such classics. And you're also looking at like the nature of Future Perfect means that 
you know, those kids that are maybe starting to get put off Fortnite because there's too many people actually winning um, are taking it really seriously. Imagine them seeing this game with squids and snowmen and these bizarro characters that that enticed me and my cousins in when we were young and bringing that to to the modern era i guess the difference is it's it is a bit more mature in that tongue and cheekness mm. and you know maybe it's for a slightly older older teen pre-teen um pre-teen into teens um so as not to um make it a bit too kid friendly and lose that that really tongue-in-cheek element of it but i just feel like if you gave it a revamp it wouldn't be enough if you redo it but keep those key parts then you're you know taking the elements from modern fps shares um fps not shares um fps games and blending it with that original basis and that's that's what would make a good modern game and rather than just a nostalgia fest but we'll see what they they plan to do it could be that with the the, kind of the the fan-made projects and fan-made ideas they may cater to to that and that time splitters rewind or whatever it was and play more into that but I, i don't know it feels like a bit of a trap not in that they're purposely trapping us, but it feels like a, a nostalgia trap into which I don't want to fall. <laughs> mm, no, no, I get that. I get that. Um, actually, I just remembered. Um, Future Perfect also has online multiplayer as well. I just realized that. Did you ever got to go into? I that? was not allowed. Um, <laughs> we were, we were not allowed to play. I never got to play any sort of online anything until, like, free. I had a free sixty. And that was a whole battle. And I was like 14 then because my mother would not let me. We had awful internet for a start um, for a very, very long time. We had awful internet, obviously dial up for a long time. There was absolutely no way in hell that my parents, one, were going to let me use some of that, you know, internet to, to play games online. And especially wouldn't let me play games online with strangers because I wasn't allowed like MSN until I was fourteen, so so I don't. Well, there was uh, no that way. just sort of unlocked a lot of memories. <laughs> those three little letters. So there's yeah. So there's, I never got to play it online. Um, it was just against AIs, and that was quite enough for me. And that's probably like what kept it quite nice as well, because you didn't have a bunch of you know people online being douchebags. <laughs> I oh, guess God, it was yeah. just contained to this nice little group of me and my cousins playing these these games and against the AIs and we were able to have hours of fun just doing that without someone else coming in and like taking it too serious or whatever you get to control the pace and level of competition if if it's just AI I was going to say as well like um did you and your cousins have like any sort of uh, bets or competitions while you were sort of playing against each other, or was it just sort of for pride, basically? Um, it was. I don't think there was a very long time where we didn't really take it that seriously. Mm. I think most of the times because it was. I'm trying to think when we played because there was in round Halo, so Halo was more the game 
that was starting to get more competitive and it was still at that turn where games were starting to become quite competitive i'm sure they were before but for the masses yeah um so i think we just kind of like messed about like i was never great and it's still you know running joke to this day that i am not good at shooting i am awful awful aim um so i was never any good anyway but i think whenever i remember playing we just had fun and most of the time we were on the same team anyway um because we played deathmatch on as being part of the same team rather than against each other Mm. um i can't remember if it had one-on-one but yeah so that was kind of it and then when we played halo it started as i think it was fun as well like we just those were the ones where you just like those days where you just messed around a map and a match could go on forever because nobody really wanted to to reach the the goal of how many people you had to kill you just Mm -hmm. wanted to mess about with a warthog so i think those were kind of those golden years of just playing for for fun whereas like we play overwatch now and i'm still a bit like yeah i'm just in it to play and you know my my younger cousin's a bit like no we have to win we have to win the game and i'm just a bit like no it's fine or we'll play dead by daylight and he's like this is the very specific strategy and i'll be like i'm just gonna run away so <laughs> i'm just gonna try and not get murdered and he's like no you have to do this it's bad sportsmanship to not do this so i'm like yeah I just I just run and hope for the best really in the end um so I think we spun off I've I've kept that really chill kind of non-competitive atmosphere with games um and so had my older cousin and then my younger cousin has kind of gone a bit more competitive and enters competitive like teching tournaments and stuff now um but those were those golden years where we could happily play and just have a mess around (laughs) No, the, re- the reason I say that is because you've actually just unlocked a memory I had from like half a dozen years ago when I was in school in Derry. Like, there was this sort of tournament um, in the nerve center in Derry, and like there would be half a dozen of us. Like this happened on one particular Saturday afternoon, I think, just before Christmas. And like, there's this big, massive tournament in in the cinema, uh, where in the nerve center, and um, I was in it, and like, I got to the final, but the final game was Time Splitters, uh, uh, Time Splitters two, and I'd just been beaten like narrowly, like, because uh, I I got off to a good start, and then I just sort of the the other player uh, uh, just clawed their way back, and they won basically a monetary sum of. 15 whole pounds. I was just like, fuck. But then I was say, it's uh, all, going, all going down in Derry. That did not happen in Lauren. Oh, I can tell you that. Oh, that, was a, not, that, that was, was that not. Was the day, that was the day Derry gone downhill. That was the day Derry <laughs> started going downhill. <laughs> but yeah, that was... It's a, it's a really nice period I look back on with very, very fond memories now of the amount of time that I spent. And it's also the part of my life that I harness when I tell my mother, look, I spent my years well, I do this as a job now, I promise. <laughs> it was worth it in the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. It was never a phase. 
Um, so, what else do you like about Time Splitters Future Perfect that we've not touched upon tonight? Oh, God. I've... I don't know. Um... Those are kind of the key. The, those are the key elements. Is the ca- the characters and the maps? I think are those really key elements to me, because um, really it's not particularly a game of massive depth per se. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't think. Um, yeah, I think that's. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Do I, I need to have something? A, I think that's the first time someone's not been able to answer that question. I don't know. Well, to be fair, it's because it's like... It's not... It's a it's a fun game, but it's not a game of huge amount of depth, let's be honest. Like, oh, yeah. there are quite basic... Basic weapons. Um, you know, it's your basic loadout. The maps are... I've touched on, they're great fun, they're all themed, it's all a bit weird. Um, the characters are weird also, and the campaign is just, um, you know, great weird time, time hopping fun. Um, it is, it is, yeah, potentially not as serious as Time Splitters 2, I think. Um, but yeah, I just remember there being so much about that game. I spent so many hours and I still... There's so much I never did. There's so much I never unlocked. There's so much I'm still yet to see all these years later. And it's that golden era of having those little black like character marks where you never unlock the character. And... It's just the epitome of that for me, of just having all these characters and all these characters I'm yet to see. And I love that. I love that there's so much content in there in terms of those those characters and maps and bits that I've still not seen. Um, and you wouldn't get that now. And I really hope that's not something that they they wreck with microtransactions and whatnot in the, the new game and with DLC. But you know it is. But I hope... I hope it isn't because it's it's the best example of that. It's the best example of just these characters that you spend hours trying to complete one challenge just to find out who that who that extra character was and you didn't know because you know, you weren't I wasn't reading guides on games online, so I genuinely had no idea who the person was <laughs> and I miss I miss that. I think that's a golden era of not having to pay for your content. Extra for your content. What didn't you like about Future Perfect? Um, well, it's like I said, there's some stuff looking back now I'm a bit like, mm. um, I think by obviously by today's standards some things that don't quite live up and it's different because I look through it now with a a different lens a more critical lens than I would have back then it was just fun for me back then looking back now I'm a bit like well it was a really basic shooter wasn't it like it was very basic like apart from the pizzazz of the characters and the maps it was a very run-of-the-mill shooter for for that time and the campaign didn't exactly have the most exciting story 
like to all extents and purposes it's just quite a a basic game it's those extra elements those um the uniqueness of those characters and things that does lift it into being something that's quite memorable i think Mm. um yeah i think that's that's the thing and i would also change obviously the you know the the sexy female sidekicks which annoys to what annoys me since then i can't remember if it was in two or three is the spy character with his um i think there's a part where you have to is it him you have to help someone because it's like their sidekick slash missus is either tied to tree and tracks and it's a very classic damsel in distress type moment and that's a bit like i think even at the time i was a bit like oh well that goes against all this um female empowerment i'm feeling from playing as a female in a fps um but yeah i think it was a bit basic, but I loved it. <laughs> and and that's, you know, just like I said, that's me thinking with my critical hat on um, that very much I'm probably looking at it with, with rose-coloured glasses, which is what makes me ever so slightly concerned about whatever's coming next for it because I am very aware of that now that I've played the Crash remake um and you know or remasters and the the spiral me remasters and i've enjoyed those but i'm also very aware um some some things are of their time <laughs> mm. which is why i'm hoping that they'll they'll do a total reboot rather than a remaster <laughs> um we can't really ask of top three time splitters games because there's only been three and we've not played TS one, so <laughs> we can basically skip that and say TS Future Perfect and then TS two. Um, but I will ask, like considering with your critical hat on, um, and not necessarily about Future Perfect, uh, but time splitters as a whole sort of cohesive package. What do you think, sort of? makes the series still so beloved after 20 odd years at this point because like i don't i don't know if i would necessarily well it does have a legacy behind it but i don't know if i would say it has a massively beloved legacy as such it's yeah it's like i said i think there's there's a fan base of people that played it that really enjoyed it and those are the people that really enjoyed it and have you know that nostalgia to it are you know quite vocal i guess um it's one of those where people will see a game by like oh yeah i love that game and then they kind of forgot about it and it's in the recesses of the mind and then for some people kind of like me i, I remember it vividly because it's such um kind of an important time in like i guess gaming and my my history of gaming um i can't remember what you asked Basically, it's fine. I think what I was trying to say is, what is it about Time Splitters that still makes us feel so beloved today, I guess? Yeah, I think, I know we keep going back to it, I think it's the characters and it's the humour. Because if you think about it, we'll go back to that example of Fable. What makes Fable stand out is you remember the lines and you remember the humour. And I think if that had been in a street RPG without any of those like kind of sly witty digs and stuff 
I don't know if it would have been as memorable. Like, it's a good game, but I think it would have been, you know, an RPG that maybe would have um, not been as beloved as what it is. And I think it's the same thing for Time Splitters, where people kind of remember this weird, bizarre, very um, very British game. Um, and that's probably also a thing for people as well, is the idea that you have this, you know, British comedic game, and there's not a whole load of those about. Um, so if you have something that you feel speaks to to the, the comedy and the humour you grew up with, mm. then... Or even, you know, the comedy that you maybe enjoy. There's a lot of Americans really enjoy Monty Python. Um, if if that's the kind of thing you enjoy, then it, it speaks to that a bit. Um, along with just the, the bizarreness, I think. It's just something that's quite, quite difficult to forget, I think, um, for, for me. And it... That... That comedy, I think, is a really big part of it and those pop culture references um, because that's the first time I've seen really pop culture reference in games. Um, and, you know, those worlds kind of meshing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's probably it. The, the, the characters and the humour and just that it's kind of a quintessential um, British comedy game, I guess. Um, that's not to say Americans don't enjoy it. I'm sure some do, but that's the, that's the best guess I could have. It's um, it's not afraid to be a bit edgy. <laughs> mm. Let's let's try and avoid that edginess, though, for for what's coming next or whatever that is. Anyway, I think, or yeah. cer- certainly some of the problematic edginess of it. Anyway, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I think what you can do is like. You can have that edginess, but you direct it in the right place, right? You punch up and you... If you start at doing... Like, this isn't the best example, but when you see the likes of Far Cry throwing in... Far Cry 5 throwing in those kind of political references um, with Trump's P-tape and the gay frogs, and they put those really, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek it's, sly it's references. It's timely. It's timely. It's timely. And I think you could do that. You could do that about not necessarily i'm not saying make it political and it doesn't need to be political but you could do those kind of pop culture references now you could do those kind of you know modern world takes now where you've got kind of cortez being like what the fuck's an influencer you could do that and do that edginess of having a comment on on everything and a bit like you know a bit judgmental yeah, but do it at the right places. Do it at the modern landscape. Do it at you know dating apps and how far the world's come in in the last what like twenty years, and that's where you could you could point that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about where you're directing your hits and where you're directing your comedy. As I said, comedy is good. Comedy is about punching up. It's not about punching down. And I talked to you know, Psychonauts, Tim Schafer about that, and that's something that he was really passionate about, where he said, that's how how you know, are you, if you're punching down, then you're not doing it right, and that's how they get that, that humour, and that type of humour that they have in, you know, especially Psychonauts 2, is absolutely perfect in how they tongue-in-cheek make 
very subtle references to the world around us, but you're you're not punching down on anyone. You're not taking the piss out of anyone. But it's kind of that subtle nod that says, you you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's kind of what they need to take a take a leaf out of Schaefer's book. mentions go for it okay um let me see i'll go first with god of war 2018 honorable mention because i never played any other god of war games and what i really enjoyed about that game was that gradual growing narrative about you know um kratos and his son and watching that struggling father son you know trying to come to terms with their grief and that impacting their relationship and then trying to build that relationship throughout the course of the game i found that storytelling really subtle um but really impactful and it's something that's that's had a quite a lasting effect effect with me now is i think it was just brilliantly done and i'm really excited to see what they they do with ragnarok in terms of changing that into a a more angsty teenage (laughs) teenage relationship um let me see the sims as a series just because it has the same kind of i guess personal um personal relationship with me um i don't necessarily like the new sims games but from the start to till now i have played them all um and it's 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 a game that i've always just felt I don't know, just the, this, um, just this, this attachment to, like, where, and it's various aspects of my life I can see reflected through the game where whenever I was, you know, young and I would put together a happy family and that's what I kind of wanted. So I'd live this happy, normal family life through The Sims. And when I became a teenager, it was this kind of going and to university as i said i never got in going to university in the sims 2 and um doing a degree and having all this whatever um you know the successful career out of the back of it and then as it went on then it would be like i'm going to have a bakery business and i'm going to be successful and i'm going to be a single sim and then i've come to now like being a bit more you know my sim is in you know, quite independent. They don't need a person. Their career comes first. And it's weird because it's it's something that is... How I play it has changed as I have changed through the years. Um, so that's another one. Um, I'll give you two more. <laughs> um, because I'll be here all day. Um, Night in the Woods is another. And it's one that I have... And I'm sure a lot of people have quite um, struggles with in terms of 
talking about that game because I feel like that Night in the Woods really touched on that difficulty of being a 20-something trying to find yourself. And yeah, the, you know, the career behind that has made that difficult to them feel so personally related to a game um, to, to then feel like it's jaded somehow. Um, and it's been a lot of coming to terms with the fact that that game still means something to me, even if... Um, even with those issues. But it's just the idea of being this, you know, reckless, ridiculous 20-something who all your friends are growing um, up and getting on with their lives and you're still, like, as May keeps saying, a piece of trash. And I felt that, especially going back to your hometown and just being like, oh, God, why is everyone else grown up in a way? And I don't feel like I'm moving at that pace. I think that's... Um, it's just a beautifully done game and it's really real I guess it doesn't try to sugarcoat what it's like or you know make May seem like a good character she's a bit of a dick sometimes and I, I like that about it and then the last one I'll say is um Hellblade and that's a it's a weird one in terms of the mental health depictions in that are questionable i have friends who have some of the mental health issues depicted in that that really don't like it um i appreciate the the effort that was at least put in to try and get it right but it was not necessarily right and it probably wasn't and to to paint someone's experience with psychosis for example as being a one-size-fits-all is not right um and in, in that regards, I think it followed quite a bit. What I do enjoy about that is, spoilers, the, the final boss fight in that is the most impactful boss fight I've ever experienced because there's so many layers to that. Um, I don't know whether I can spoil the, the end of that. It's been five years anyway. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, you've fought all this way to return your um your beloved's head to Hela and uh Senyo wants to fight Hel um you know Hela to to claim back her, her partner's soul and the final bit you're just fighting and it's waves of enemies and you're just fighting and you're just fighting and you're just fighting and there is no end to it and you're just fighting and fighting and you're just like this will not stop and there's a point where it clicks and you're like I'm not meant to win um i'm not meant to win and you just stop and it's that point i think it's quite it's this good metaphor for saying you're just accepting like accepting her grief accepting what's happened and stop fighting because you can't keep fighting it and i think that's just yeah it's so poignant it's so poignant and it's quite subtle and the music in it is just brilliant in that final scene. But I think it's it's one of the boss battles that has hit me the most apart from the final scenes of The Last of Us 2, which again was another very poignant, you know, exhaustive fight. Yeah. Um, and that one is, is yet another one. It's those final scenes with abby and ellie and they don't want to fight anymore they're exhausted and they're drained but they're just 
try like still trying to keep at it and i think it's that's just sort of that compelling aspect of closure that yeah I think the last of us part two just sort of tries to come across and then i had this massive epitome uh, epiphany that i sort of put across to um my, uh, I won't mention the name, but like basically Sony said PR in the UK. Like I was just basically emailing them coverage links for the review that went live on Play Diaries, and I just went. I had this massive epiphany about the ending of The Last of Us Part Two uh, when I was playing it, and was, and was, came around with the fight with Ellie and Abby. It's just like, like there's the closure that you're looking for is not here. Yeah, it's elsewhere, or not even elsewhere. It's not here at all, and I think that was just so powerful of what the last of us sorry it's it's digressing away from what you're talking about with hellblade but like i, I just sort of wanted to bring that up because the last of us it just feels like what's the point you're not going to find closure here yeah i think that's and it's the same kind of thing that happens in hellblade is it's that what are you fighting for why are you fighting like you and it's that realization which in the characters realize that that is um in both games so both difficult and you almost as a player feel like you want them to stop you just stop just like with with the last of us i was like just walk away for christ's sake ellie yeah, just like, walk away like just it was, let it like go it was, it was like this sort of cycle of revenge because joel killed abby's dad spoilers by the way joel kills abby's dad and then abby kills joel and then yeah, Abby it's... kills one of Ellie's friends, and it basically just sort of escalates into this sort of whole cycle of revenge. Yeah, uh, that, 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 I, that I sort of think Neil Druckmann sort of wanted to sort of get to the heart of, and then at the end you realize this is this is needless, this is pointless. Why are we doing this? What's what's the point of all of this? Yeah, I think it's that was it's an interesting one, and I, I what I draw on is probably analogy that you'll get more than anything what I considered at the time was this is this idea of tribalism and the other and it's something that's very present in Northern Ireland and it's this idea that you don't know why you dislike these people but somebody did something sometime and therefore fear the other and that resonated with me quite a bit where I was like, it's just this fear, this innate fear that's passed on and nobody wise knows why. And I think that was really prevalent. That wasn't, I forgot, but that game is probably one of my favourites. What I will say is the last favourite is Psychonauts 2, which is a more recent edition. And that is um, another game with a mental health related theme, but it's one that spoke to me and made me feel like I was having self-care and therapy but enjoying it it made me for the first time feel like i wasn't weird and alone to to have the issues i have and it felt it's a game that almost felt like a hug where i was like this is i'm actually able to laugh about these things these these um metaphors for the things that i feel they've captured them so well but actually they've done it in a funny way and i feel like it's like i said before it's that not punching down but i feel like you're talking to me on an equal level and we can laugh about this. Mm. And that's really hard thing to do with mental health depiction because, you know, people don't necessarily want to laugh about it, but that balance is done so, so well. And I think that that's such a testament to Tim Schafer and the team because it, you know, they addressed that in Psychonauts, they didn't necessarily get elements of that right. And they strove 
to improve it and they did tenfold um so that is probably my current as you can see there's many my current um favorite favorite game and likely game of the year uh for me still at the minute i think the sort of through line that i'm sort of getting in terms of your honorable mentions is that there is a massive sort of mental health aspect to it yeah i think it's it's that same thing that many people have, isn't it? You strive, a lot of people strive to see themselves in media. And I've always, you know, strove to see, to want to see myself. And I'm always, I guess, looking for a good mental health depictions. And a part of that is maybe a bit like wallowing. And it's not, I just want to see the medium that I enjoy get my experience and get up and do it well. Um, and that's not always happened. We've had so many games that use asylums as, you know, horror backdrops and the amount of tropes that, you know, you've put through and I've played games where I've just been like, oh, it's such easy, low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important, in, especially in this day and age where there's all this fear about mental health and games and that link. So I think to be able to tackle that in a game and do it well i'm not saying to fix the world but it's like i said like psychonauts does that so well of touching on those elements that just say you're not alone and i think they're so important for people you don't have to hammer it you don't have to absolutely like hammer it in that this is about mental health and this is about and they're like you and i think sometimes games can go too much in that direction of doing that um, but I just think we're starting to get to this place where mental health um, depictions are becoming better. Mm. They're not amazing yet, but no. they're starting to become better than what they were. They're starting to be more aware. And that's so important for gamers because so many will suffer, so many people um, will suffer from you know mental health conditions in their lives to feel, feel like they're reflected in their their hobby to feel like they're understood and listened to to a degree it just is it's so important it's important to me it's not necessarily important for everyone but to me just to see that and to see that right and that there's not this stigma being carried in the medium that i love mm-hmm. um helps me feel a bit more understood by both you know games and hopefully by by other people it's spreading a more you know, decent message, I guess, a less stigmatized message, and any forms of media that you can get that destigmatized message through is good. But as I said, it's not always going to be right, and it's a very difficult line to walk, and you're not going to please everyone. But it's also accepting where you mess up and trying to do better, and not claiming like you know more than the people suffering from the conditions themselves. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's what's important when it comes to, when it comes to my enjoyment of games. It's about that narrative. It's about for me personally, just emotionally connect. My favorite games are ones that I emotionally connect with, um, like sto- kind of stories for the ages for me, ones that I'll remember. And you know, Future Perfect may not have been that, but there's still that emotional element, that emotional connection for me. Um, and I think that's that's um, 
why it can stand beside the, those other games. I absolutely agree with you on how, um, uh, I definitely agree with you in terms of how important depiction of mental health is in games for me. Certainly these days, anyway, because like, um, like I, I've obviously talked about my own wares in the show before, but like it means everything to me to see a good depiction of horror. Uh, sorry, not, why am I saying horror? Uh, the reason I'm saying horror is because of the worry that I have of a potential depiction of mental health in games that's coming up and it's actually coming from a developer that you sort of refer to there with Hellblade, Ninja Fury and Project Mara. I, 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 I am worried about that game. I'm very, very worried about that game. And I think Ninja Fury, to the best of what it did with Hellblade, and I hope with Hellblade 2 as well, Like I think they will try to do as best they can in terms of telling a good depiction of mental health. But Project Mara is about sort of trying to get inside your psyche, inside your brain, just sort of getting into the dark depths of your mental health. And that's something that I don't know Ninja Fury, or to be fair, any other developer. I don't think a game can do that. I think games need to know what they are. Like, at the end of the day, a game needs to know what it is. And that's not to be reductive of games, Mm. but you're not going to fix the world and you're not going to, you know, delve into someone's psyche and fix it. Like, especially if that's the intention, I guess. Like, it's, like, I keep going back to it, but, like, with Psychonauts, the thing was, I was, like... Talking to Tim Schafer, he was like, I never, we never expected the response we got to the first game in terms of like mental health depiction. We never expected it. It's just a reflection of that team and those developers and their principles and their philosophies and what their their interests and their lives. And that is authentic. It, it, you can feel that. You can feel these genuine um, experiences in a game, if you're trying to push a narrative, push an authentic experience, it doesn't work because you're not authentic in that. You can talk to as many people as you want, but you're not tearing. And my worry with this Ninja Fury thing is that it, they'll rest on the laurels and be like, well, we did this one good, so now we're the people that can exactly. do this. Exactly. And it doesn't mean you're the people that can do this. There was a lot of criticism over what happened like over Hellblade and you shouldn't be jumping into the pool again like but deeper this time you gotta get it right you gotta get it right with Hellblade 2 you gotta improve and the only thing that gives me some sort of faith in it well not in Project Mara but in Hellblade 2 is the Xbox are very good now they have um, kind of they have people on team who have been working, we're working with Psychonauts 2 developers, the same uh, psychologists we're working with um, Hellblade 2 to try and you know, get them to think about those blind spots and to get them to think about their representation in a way that maybe they haven't and that's something that, that Xbox is doing that's really good and that for me is, that's the basic level is Xbox are wanting to do better and hopefully that ripples on through and makes sure that Hellblade 2 does better. Um, 
that's that's my hope for that project project mara will we'll see i read the description of it and immediately was like no <laughs> that's that you're trying to too hard a game with an underlying aspect of mental health that's done well will work if you are immediately going in heavy-handed it's that heavy-handed depiction i talked about and smacking it over the head being like we are good at mental health depictions you're setting yourself up for a loss from the start um less is more and just make sure that what you're doing you get it right so we'll see i don't have big hopes for that i'm hoping xbox will you know get them to think a bit harder and get them to do better and that they'll share those resources with the xbox game studios um among them and and get that up to the speed but we'll see there's still as many as much as there's going to be good depictions there's always going to be bad mm-hmm. um it's at this point unfortunately it's just not surprising <laughs> it's no. it's disappointing it's not surprising but it's about calling out um it's about calling out what get what goes wrong basically what gets it wrong and also yeah. sort of celebrating what gets it right because we need to sort of um, again, it's sort of about calling out what gets it wrong and then sort of celebrating what gets it right because what gets it right is very wrong. I'm not Sorry, not very wrong, but very rare because like, yeah. we, we don't see those great depictions very often. No, because that Psychonauts depiction was the best I've... And it's probably the only example I can look at, point at, and be like, that got it right. I have everything. That... I can look at Hellblade and still be like, there's a lot of elements of Hellblade that didn't get it right. Um, And I can do that with most games. I can do that with Night in the Woods. There's plenty of games I can look at and point to and be like, I enjoyed this, but it didn't get it right. And that's the only one I've been able to say, no, you covered all your corners and you got what it feels like. Um, And it's such a rarity. And I... Yeah, I really hope it's something that Ninja Fury will do do better. That I don't know if there's a big difference, but the thing is, we've we've seen with Double Fine the heart in Double Fine's games. You've seen the humor. You've seen you know what they are, and you know they're authentic and what that humor is, and it's not being dicks. Um, yeah, it's not punching down, it's just punching up. That's the thing, and it's never been that. So when they tried to get it right, they it's just, it's organic to a degree. They got people in to make sure that the blind spots they had were covered, but they, it was organic, like, what happened there. And that's such a testament to that team. Ninja Fear are forcing it, and we'll see. I could We could be wrong. We could be wrong, but... The idea of deciding that you got one thing right and then moving up to the expert level and, you know, thinking that it'll be the same. Um, it, it, I'm hoping they've learned from their mistakes and what would be reassuring is to hear that they acknowledge and have learned from their mistakes in the way that Double Fine did because they are very open with the fact that they know that they got some stuff wrong with Psychonauts 1 and we've not really heard that from Ninja Fury for, to, to my knowledge um, 
I think that's what people need to hear. But the game will speak for for itself. Um, we can only hope that the appropriate trigger warnings and so on are are included in it. That's been a big issue with a lot of games um, in terms of not including those. So mm. we'll see. We, you know, yeah, <laughs> we can perpetually <sighs> disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, besides Psychonauts, is there any other games that you think have sort of done mental health depiction? Not not necessarily perfectly or even brilliantly, but I've like at least tried to attempt a good effort at being hu- not no, human, but like at least show what's the word? At least show that that there is validity to what a player might be feeling with their own mental health. Anyway, for the lack of a better expression. Um, I I don't know the like. It's like I say, kind of you know, Night in the Woods, Hellblade. Those are all kind of ones that I would put up there, but the, they're ones that have their issues. Yeah. There's none I've genuinely come away from and been like that did it, um, perfectly. Uh, apart from from Psychonauts, it's it's quite a quite a high bar I think at times to me. Um, things like I guess Stardew Valley subtly does it quite well in terms of just the how human its characters are I think that's what's so important is it doesn't have to be smashing around the head with something it's letting your characters be human and letting them have their flaws and maybe those flaws are you know mental health conditions or illnesses and not letting that define the character um, letting that be part of them but not define them like I think people have mentioned before kind of life is strange um, and there's kind of you know classic examples like that there's one I did play that did it It did well but it was one of those that falls to the almost a degree of mental health is depressing mm. um, which was Please knock on my door, which did uh, was quite triggery. If you ever want to play this game, trigger warnings galore. But it was essentially you just are getting through your day. You can either you know go to work and use your energy, but when you use your normal energy, using your mental, you're mostly using up your mental energy doing life's basic tasks, washing, <laughs> like eating, doing all of that and most of the time I think I kept getting, I kept playing it the way that I would in a depression episode and it kept having a very bad outcome in the game Mm. um, which as I said is quite triggering but there there is a good outcome possibility which is answering, you know, answering the phone to a family member and talking to someone and the whole game was based around this and indie developer's own experience and at the end of it when you get the good ending you see him and he's it's genuinely him and he's um around a campfire with his friends and it's just a kind of like i did get the good ending like real life i got the good ending and i think that's an accurate a mostly accurate depiction but the the pitfalls of how wrong it can go um are extremely triggering um Mm. 
and that's this weird line of balancing is how do you do a good mental health depiction that's not ultimately so dark that you're going to trigger someone um you you know it's just about being on an even ground with someone and honestly there's not that many there's not that many do get it right i don't really think like i said apart from psychonauts 2 there's none i can point to and say that was it Mm. um that got it that got the tone and everything right and hopefully that's something we can we can improve on that people can improve on in later years and they realize that these can be aspects of your characters your complex um make characters more complex and make this part of them but do not make this their entire identity it's the same as you know any other you know identifying factors of a character where people want to see lgbtq plus characters more lgbtq plus characters in games where the characters lgbtq lgbtq plus but that is not their entire identity they are just more multi-layered characters and i think it is part of that of they are part of a building the building blocks that make your character but they it is not does not define who your character is um so that's a very long-winded way of saying no apart from psychonauts (laughs) there is not any any good um really good depictions um there are lots of different elements that are good in places but a lot of places stop fall at very common stumbling blocks but what i care about is whether like double fine you fuck it up and you come back the next time and you do it better and Mm. that's what matters to me is the effort of trying to do better the next time round. no definitely um i absolutely agree with you on that anyway um so, um, top three games. What would they be? Top three games ever. What would they be? Um, obviously, Time Splitters at the top. I would, at the risk of putting the assumption in your head, um, Psychonauts 2 in second, would it? It would be. I'd actually probably put um, Psychonauts and Future Perfect can probably be quite interchangeable. It's for two different reasons. They're kind of a tie. I'd say. Um, I feel like we almost. might need to re-record this episode now. <laughs> They're almost a tie, but for different reasons in terms of nostalgia and strong feeling. But Psychonauts has just come in as a, a pretty like new contender. Um, so I haven't had the longevity of that. Mm. Number three, I'd say... Ooh, I'd say God of War, probably. Or The, the Sims as a series. And that's, again basing something against this was very good and I enjoyed it and it is a good game versus the emotional nostalgic attachment to something um, which which always makes it <laughs> quite quite difficult um, it's yeah it, it's difficult being asked what your favourite game is <laughs> that's the point of asking people what your favourite game is that's why I revel in it <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's sort of why I catch people out when I ask them that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'll, the next time you talk to me, I'll have changed that list around again. <laughs> I'll be like, I don't know. 
I mean, to be fair, when when I ask people, come on, like I, I I say to people explicitly, what is your favorite game? And I need you to be explicit about it. <laughs> there is no ties. He says, knowing that my uh, the Last of Us and Metal Gear Solid Three are basically interchange interchangeable sometimes. Even though, for the most part, The Last of Us sort of sways it, but like... That's the thing, it's like, I completely forgot about The Last of Us 2 until you mentioned it, and now I'm like, ah, oh, shit, there goes the list. Um, <laughs> I I enjoy all the games, <laughs> mostly. All the games are good. All the games are great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you can find me, Vic Hood, on Twitter at Hood underscore Vic. Um, and you can follow the Tech Radar Gaming Twitter channel at Tech Radar Gaming. All very straightforward and and simple. And you can read my work on Tech Radar Gaming as well. If you if you want to find out more of my thoughts on all of the games, well, most of the games I've just mentioned there now in more in-depth written thought as if I didn't waffle enough on this podcast. <laughs> we all waffle. We all waffle. I'm it's actually... So, I, think, I think now I'm in, in the mood for uh, Spud Waffles. For see, so see you again next week! <laughs> Bye! <laughs>